Hi, thank you for tuning into the show with Beck. I'm Lisa Quintero, young adult librarian. And I'm Nick Barron, patron and sometimes volunteer. This is the show where we talk to you about what we've been reading, watching, or listening to. And this week we're going to be talking about The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins, uh, which is the prequel to the Hunger Games series. The first... Library News. So there's quite a few things happening at the library. Um, if any of you have been to visit recently, you might have noticed that we're asking people to be in the library for a maximum of one hour uh, due to the rising cases of coronavirus in the North Shore. Uh, we've also removed a lot of our seating and are only allowing people to use the computers for an hour. So if you haven't been to the library yet, just be aware that that is a thing that is going on and we are encouraging people to do curbside if they would like to get books. Um, but you're still welcome to come in and browse and you know that we're still available if you need reference help and all of that. Um, we're just asking people to try to be a little bit more cautious. Um, and then this week we are actually going to be closed on Tuesday, November 10th um, because we're having some HVAC work done. So some of you may have seen the signs up and around the library and because we're having HVAC work done that means that the the vents and everything will there won't be proper airflow and so the health department recommended that we close the library for the day in order to, to you know prevent the spread of, of coronavirus. Um, so we will be closed on Tuesday but we'll be resuming our normal hours on Wednesday. In terms of programs, we've got a lot of things coming up this week. Uh, we've got Family Fun Night to Go kits on Monday, November 9th. Um, and then we have on Tuesday, even though we're closed, there will be a Rhyme Time Tuesday with Miss Heidi online in the morning. And there will be a virtual program in the evening called Proven Ways to a Healthier Brain that is co-sponsored by the Senior Center and the library. And you can find information on that at the library website, shorewardlibrary.org and you can find the information on how to connect, and that, I believe, is a program on dementia. And then on Wednesday, we got Art Car Online, as normal, and then we have a few things coming up the following week, November 18th, uh, Art Car as well, and then on November 19th, there will be a teen take and make, Mod Podge Crafts, so if you know any teens who are looking for something fun to do, uh, have them pick up one of our kits. You can pick them up either via curbside or you can pick them up in person. And that morning, there will also be the AM Book Club with Haley. And then finally, on the 20th, uh, there will be some grown-up take-and-make kits. Uh, we've had a few different ones so far. Emily, our assistant director, did a salsa and pesto one back in September. And then uh, our administrative assistant, Angie, did a Halloween one that was, some of you probably picked them up, the candy corn bunting and the spider hangings as well for Halloween. So yeah, keep an eye out for those. Uh, the, the, the adult one isn't listed what it is yet, but it says to be announced. So keep an eye out. And I don't know what exactly it'll be, but I'm sure it'll be something fun. For the less crafty folks, mm -hmm. can you tell people what Mod Podge is? Yeah, Mod Podge uh, for the teen crafts is uh, it's like a type of glue kind of. It basically, um, you can attach things like images to a rock or like glass or paper. And um, so some of the crafts that like the teens will be able to do is there's like a magnet that you can, you know, they can take art and they can mod patch it on. You could take like, if you wanted to, like leaves from outside or things like that and like glue them onto something. And it's a clear, clear coat that attaches it without the filminess of like Elmer's glue. Yeah, it's a, a paste that goes under and on top of whatever you're gluing down. Yeah, so it's, it's just to, for, to, to do the French art of decoupage. <laughs> Um, gluing things together and cutting them out. But yeah, so check those out. But I think that's all we've got coming up. From the stacks. 
So yeah, like I said, we're talking about Suzanne Collins's The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, and both of us listened to it via Hoopla, uh, the audio version, which was narrated by Santino. Do you remember his last name? Oh. Uh, I don't remember his last name either. Let me see if I can find it. But yeah, what did you think about it? Well, first of all, you're finding the name. Yeah, why don't you explain what the, the premise of the story is? Oh, okay. Um, so the premise of the story is we are examining the backstory of President Snow before he became president. So it actually uh, it, uh, goes back to when he is in, in school. Yeah, he's high school. High school, or high school equivalent. Um, and uh, he is going through essentially it is setting up setting up his his backstory with what life is like in the uh in the capital um in in that era of panem it's after the first uh rebellion the first uprising um and so he's got um lingering feelings about the war and how how they suffered in the capital in terms of rationing and, mm-hmm. and how they they lived their daily lives. And it goes through kind of him him reflecting on how the the house of snow has fallen um, during the uh, during the times after the rebellion, um, but also setting up for you know this his school project and his school project was. And his school project was that he was a mentor um, for the one of the contestants in the Hunger Games. Um, so the the before we continue, the narrator is Santino Fontana. Okay. <laughs> Not that you know people know a ton of narrators, but you know it's important because we'll be I, talking about the narration a bit yes. um, versus you know having you know reading the the book as opposed to the the audio listening to the audio book. So, yeah, so he becomes a mentor to this girl, and her name is Lucy Gray, and she is a contestant from District 12, and he and a bunch of his classmates are supposed to, you know, they're the first mentors for the Hunger Games because in this time they never had had mentors for the contestants before, and the the capital basically has been doing the Hunger Games for like 10 years, and this is the 10th year, and they want to make it more exciting because nobody's watching, nobody cares about it. And the whole reason that they did this was to remind people of, you know, why, why, you know, it was important for them to keep doing what the capital asked because if they didn't, this is what would happen to their children. Um, and so it kind of gives you a, a, a overview of how the modern Hunger Games with Katniss came to be um, because certain things that, that happened in the Katniss Hunger Games did not happen in the original Hunger Games. Yeah, like, this, like the the like mentors weren't able to uh, send gifts and stuff. Yeah. So so it takes you back to a time when the Hunger Games were much more primitive. Mm-hmm. Um, the arena was always the same. Um, up to that point, uh, the uh, um, there were no gifts. There was no even though it was televised. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't glam it up. Yeah, they didn't announce the, the deaths of the the tributes, you know, like they do in the the modern Hunger Games, and they didn't they didn't have all the mutations either. That's something that comes about in this book, um, and they didn't have like all the all the prizes that the that the victors get, you know, like the victors didn't get a house, they didn't get you know 
fancy clothes. They, they when the victors arrive or the the victors the when the contestants arrive in the capital, they lock them up in the zoo and they don't feed them at all. And so it's like you know you got these starving children who are fighting each other to the death, and like you know they realize like who wants to watch that? Like we need to to take care of them when they get here and give them training and make it more exciting, you know, and all these things. This, um, they, even in this, they didn't get any training. Yeah, that, no, that's no. something that, 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 that must, have, must, have, must have evolved later on. But uh, the the idea was is it was so brutal and primitive when it started that like in in this particular even the tenth Hunger Games, multiple of the contestants died before the Hunger Games even started. Yeah, um, and so and um, one of the one of the things that they they came up with for the 10th Hunger Games was uh, it was actually the the students the mentors came up with the idea of gambling on the event and also of implementing drones to deliver rewards to the the uh, contestants yeah and having sponsorships so people you know people watching at home could be like oh we like this contestant so we're gonna send this contestant food or medicine or this or that um, and using the mail, the postal service, in order to make that happen. Yeah, um, and the the book kind of goes into a little bit of, of, you know, fan service, I guess, in terms of where the origin of certain things came from. And I know I had certain feelings about it. I'm sure you had feelings about it as well. We find out the origin of the word Katniss. You know, Katniss's name. Um, we find out where the Hanging Tree song came from. Um, we find out, you know, a little bit about Tigress's history because Tigress turns out to be Coriolanus Snow's cousin. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also they they go deep into the origin of mocking jays and jabber jays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know how they're different from each other and and how they're used and how the jabber jays were used in the the previous war. Um, and yeah. Uh, so, what were your feelings on on the fan service? Yeah, I uh, there were fan service. I I think it's important to to ground things with the fans and give give them a little bit of that that those those Easter eggs, those mm-hmm. those things to uh, keep keep people hooked. They're oh, that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. That's where that came from. But sometimes it goes too far. Mm-hmm. And I think this was one of those examples where there was a few things where it just went a little too far. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the origin of Katniss's name, it turns out that it's a, a type of swamp potato. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, like. I know, I was disappointed by that too. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 thought, I thought that was like a, uh, a, it just wasn't necessary. And the other thing is, is even though, um, especially because the, the building on, the origins of the Hunger Games itself and adding the bits and pieces it was fan service in and of itself. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was you're you're building on the history of Pan Am. You're building on. I mean, the whole story revolves around snow, mm-hmm. and then you're also um, you're adding all of these elements of the Hunger Games in that you know appear later. And it just seemed like okay, throwing in this little detail just wasn't necessary they're, they're already doing everything for the fans yeah yeah no i felt that some of the details were unnecessary but i did like some of the fan service um i really liked hearing the origin story of the hanging tree song because i really like that song and um you know it's kind of a haunting song that comes up in the the hunger games with katniss and and to hear 
Lucy Gray, who is Corleonis' Snow's um, contestant, she's the one who actually wrote the song, and, and we hear the, the history of the song and, and what exactly is meant from the lyrics of the song. Um, and so it, I found that interesting. And, yeah. and then somebody you know who likes music and likes to hear the history of, of music and things like that, I found that interesting. One thing that I found a little frustrating, though, was like, you know, um, we find out that all the, the Covey, because Lucy Gray is part of this group of people called the Covey, and they're a group of people in District 12 that are are basically musicians, and they all have names that come from songs or poems. And so we hear these other poems and these other songs, and some of that stuff felt kind of superfluous to me. Um, yeah. Also, a thought that I had while we were listening to the audiobook, because the audiobook is like 16 hours long, I was like, I wonder how much shorter this book would be if Coriolanus's name wasn't Coriolanus, and they didn't have to say Coriolanus <laughs> every time. And the second primary character's name is Sejanus, and so it's like Coriolanus, Sejanus, and like you just hear these names over and over again, and I was just like, how many how many minutes of my life would I have saved if these people <laughs> had shorter names? <laughs> at, 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 at least at, at, in conversation, it was often uh, shortened to Corio. Yeah, but Sejanus is always Sejanus. They didn't yeah. shorten that one at all. And yeah. Lucy Gray was never just Lucy. She was always Lucy Gray. That's because <laughs> she's Lucy Gray. Um <laughs> And one of the things that, uh, so this this book had a lot of songs and poems in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that we were kind of mutually agreed upon this. So the narrator, whose name was... Santino Fontana. Santino Fontana, uh, elected to speak all of the songs. They spoke some of them. It was weird. Yeah, and it's funny because the, the Hanging Tree song... They like kind of kept to um, sort of the melody of, but without being melodic at all. But kept sort of to the melody from the movie. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, um, "O Clementine," which is just like an old timey song, yeah, yeah. appears a bunch in in the. And so that uh, particular thing like holds the the melody roughly the melody of old clementine mm-hmm. but everything else is just spoken in this like weird monotone, monotone <laughs> um in the voice of the the character and uh you know i i it's one of those things where as a voice actor make an effort <laughs> you know i i, I i i think that they could have done done more more with it but they're just like eh Whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like Suzanne Collins did a really good job of making a story that was interesting. Because early on in the, in the book, I wasn't exactly sure where it was going to go. Yeah. And it starts out with him in, in school and him, you know, being involved with the Hunger Games. And then the second part of the book is he becomes a peacekeeper. And so the second part follows his life as a peacekeeper. And so, you know, you got this, this look at this character that is not a likable person. And yet she managed to make this story that was interesting and engaging about this person who you hate. You know, it's like he he thinks that he's a good person, but he's very manipulative. He's a total sociopath. Mm. Um, and he does all these things and he's always doing things because they benefit him. You know, he's not yeah. doing them because they, they help anybody else. And one, one of the things that's interesting about it is he... Suzanne Collins did a very good job of him going through, like, the the various results that could that could 
could take place by choosing this action. Mm -hmm. And almost every single time, he would like start to go towards the right thing to do, Mm-hmm. And then would think about what benefited him most and would rationalize. At, the, at the last <laughs> moment rationalize why he should do the other thing. Even though then, you know somebody might die or somebody might get in trouble or Yeah. And, and the um I I when I was talking about this with Lisa earlier, I described how Suzanne Collins takes uh Coriolanus Snow and uh, breaks him down. It's kind of like peeling away the layers of an onion. Yeah. Um, as as you peel it away, it just kind of like you find out more and you find out more and you also it get, he, his his unlikability gets stronger and stronger and stronger yeah. as you get to the center. And so one of the things that was really important, um, and at first I don't know if you agree with this, but early on I had thought to myself. This book would be better if it was written from the perspective of Sejanus, mm-hmm. because Sejanus is this very likable character mm-hmm. um, who who tries to do good. He's he, he's he's got a good heart, a little misguided at times, but has a good heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like I I thought to myself, why is this about about Snow? He's so unlikable, but ultimately, as you start to peel back those layers. I am happy that it ended up being about snow. Yeah, no, I am too, because I feel like, you know, if it had been through Sejanus's perspective, we wouldn't have seen all of Snow's inner thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just would have seen what Sejanus saw. And, and Sejanus saw Snow as his friend and somebody that he could trust and somebody that, you know, he considered a brother, you know. But inside Snow's head, we, we know that Snow would tell Sejanus that he was his brother and that he was his best friend and all this stuff. But in, in his head, he was like, I don't like this guy. But this guy is the son of somebody powerful who can, you know, potentially get me into college or who can help me, you know, get a better position in life. And someday I want to be president. And so he, you, you see his whole his whole thought process as to why he's friends with somebody. Um, and then, like, he, he falls in love with a girl and you kind of see his whole thought process around that because you're just like, like, falls in love in quotes. Yes, because he, you're like, at one point he's like, do I really love her or do I just need to have her? Because, you know, he's just. He, he has, like, no... He's a sociopath. He has, like, no emotions. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah, and it was interesting, too, because we got a little bit of, of the, his, his history, you know, because um, part of the reason that he... He's very pro-capital, and his dad was a war hero, and his dad is dead, and his mom is dead, and he's being raised by his grandmother, and he lives with his grandmother and his cousin, and the war, you know, made it so that they couldn't live their wealthy life anymore, and they're, they're rationing their food, and they're about to lose their apartment... Um, and he's just miserable because he's like, you know, I just want to be wealthy and, 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 you know, a high society person again. And he does all he can to fake that he still is this person um, and like works around things in order to try and get other people to give him things without him having to ask for them. Yeah, he's, he's very, very much about keeping up appearances mm-hmm. and um, he looks down on everybody else yeah one of the one of the things like you know there's a, a a scene early on in the book where he talks about one of his neighbors like carting away um a dead body in the street mm-hmm. in order to um cannibalize the dead body for mm-hmm. its meat and you know though obviously you know yeah you could see looking down on that but you 
you everything when he when he thinks about the people from the districts and how all people from the capital um, are portrayed as thinking about the people from the districts it's the the class dynamic um in the book is very strong mm -hmm. yeah um yeah the class dynamic's very strong one thing that i that i didn't like about the book at the beginning but that i i ended up liking later on was you know in the original hunger games the books the trilogy covers you know all the all the contestants and so we get all this backstory and all these different contestants and at the beginning when they're telling the story of the the 10th hunger games it's kind of confusing because there's all these names being thrown out but you don't really have a lot of backstory on these people and so you're not really emotionally attached to any of those characters but um i think you know ultimately ended up working out because like it also shows him like he's he was never he never saw those people as people. Um, yeah. He just saw them as fodder to keep the capital in power and to, you know, that they, they were they were worthless to him. Like to him, the way he talks about people from the districts versus people from the capital, like people from the capital are humans to him and people from the district are like, you know, the lowest of the low and they're yeah. not they're not even human. With the exception of Lucy Gray. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's one of one of the things that uh, is is also interesting is that it's almost almost like the way the they portrayed all of the mentors um, as it's almost like their contestants were pawns mm -hmm. and they were just the just the people that were, you know, pushing the pawns around the board. Mm -hmm. um, very much like they they didn't care very much whether whether they lived or died you know they wanted to they wanted their their person to win the game so they um, could get a good grade so they could get a good grade yeah because ultimately the person who, who won the hunger games was supposed to win a scholarship and, and cory lanus wants to win because his family's poor but nobody knows that his family's poor but he you know he's poor and he wants to win the scholarship so he could go to university and so he he works with lucy gray who's his contestant to try to, to win you know and then he he does a bunch of things that are against the rules in order to try and win but he doesn't see anything wrong with doing anything against the rules because it's all just about you know him and him doing what he needs like he sees it as him just doing what he needs to do to survive and to like protect his grandmother and his his cousin yeah and there's there's one line that gets repeated it's a refrain throughout the entire book um that starts from you actually first hear it from from tigress's mouth and that's snow lands on top and it in that class dynamic that goes throughout the book it's like despite all of the things that he does wrong his privilege always ends up with him coming out on top yeah um and so uh i mean it's it's not not that they're the book does a really good job of of building up tension mm. um where you where you think especially because he goes he's a he's a very the character is very paranoid mm -hmm. and so you go through his full mental process every time he's trying to make a decision and so you you, you feel his paranoia um and so it ramp it helps to ramp up that tension mm -hmm. yeah yeah no and i thought it was interesting you know like you said that he was a very privileged person because he has all these connections and all these connections end up getting him further and further along in, in where he wants to be and you know at times he he dislikes some of these people or he you know doesn't want to do certain things but he does them because he knows that it will further him in his ultimate goals um yeah overall i enjoyed it um it's it's a very different feel from the original trilogy 
Um, and I feel like it's the kind of book that you could read if you've never read the trilogy before. You could start with it. It's actually listed as book zero. Um, so yeah, you can start with this book and then move on to the rest of the trilogy. Or if you've already read the rest of the trilogy. Or seen the movies. Or seen the movies. Then you can uh, come back and, and learn about Snow. It was interesting because in the, in the movies, you know, in, in the book the series, you hear a lot about his fascination with roses and how, his, how much he loves his rose gardens and he has these poisonous roses and... Uh, we get a little bit of the history of that in, the, in this book because his grandmother grew roses on the roof of their apartment. And then also his mom, who had died, let, let one of the few things that he had of hers was a compact that had like rose-scented powder. And, and that was like his one memory of his mom. And so he always liked the smell of roses. And when he goes off to to some event at school, like his grandma cuts a rose and puts it in his lapel, you know. And so that's kind of how how that part comes into into his life um yeah there's a lot of names that are familiar in this, these books in this book too because you know we've got lucky flickerman who i'm guessing is supposed to be somehow related to caesar flickerman because lucky flickerman is the guy who uh announces the hunger Games stuff and then later on in the trilogy you know it's, it's caesar flickerman which makes sense because you know it's, it probably would be lucky flickerman's son or something because mm-hmm. It's, you know, 30 years later or whatever, so... Yeah, the Heavens Be name is, is thrown around a bit. Yeah, yeah, so there's I, a few names that came up, yeah. So, yeah, do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah, I, uh, I think it's definitely, uh, if you're if you are a fan of the series, um, it's definitely worth, worth reading or listening to, mm-hmm. like we did. Uh, it, yeah, it, the, the, the original trilogy could very well exist without it and, mm-hmm. and you don't you wouldn't feel the need to ever know the backstory but if you do if you're the type of person that wants to know more about panem you want to know more about what the society was like that created the hunger games mm-hmm. it does give you a uh, a bit of insight into that and yeah. so that's cool yeah. I, I as, as somebody that uh that likes world building mm-hmm. um i liked the world building aspects of especially because it gives you insight into since uh Coriolanus Snow is a peacekeeper. You get to see things kind of from the side of the peacekeepers mm-hmm. a little bit. And yeah. Yeah, it gave you a little bit more insight, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, all the different characters allowed you to see things. Because Janus is a district boy who his dad gets promoted and ends up moving to the capital, but he's never really truly accepted his capital because he is a district kid. And um, so that also gives you a different perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, check it out if you like. Uh, like I said, it's on Hoopla, and the, we also have a copy of the, the physical book at the library if you would rather read it. Um, I kind of wish that I had after listening to Santino Fontana try to sing sing in quotation marks the songs. <laughs> um, but, uh, and also I think I might have read, read it faster if I didn't have to hear the names Coriolanus and Sejanus so many times. But Panem, our sacred land. <laughs> but there's... There, his grandmam every morning uh, gets up and sings their the national, anthem. the national anthem, and it is literally read like that. <laughs> Panem, my sacred land. Well, I don't even know if I have the words right other than Panem. But the, <laughs> it, it's the delivery that matters. Yeah. Well, as always, thank you for tuning into the Shorewood Stacks. We hope you have enjoyed our show. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, or iTunes. Uh, if you have any questions for the hosts, please email us at showwardstacks at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week. Thanks for listening, and be well.
The Shore Words Dex is produced and recorded by Lisa Quintero and Nick Barron for the Shore Public Library. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. The song is called Ice Flow and can be found at incompetech.com.